You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everyone. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and this is On Principle. And I'm here with who I thought was going to be the star of On Principle, uh, Rabbi John Kroll. And those of you that listened to the episode, we posted it around 10 weeks ago, the day that we recorded it. But it seems a lot more than 10 weeks ago. It seems like it was like 10 years ago or maybe even 100 years ago, how the world has changed from that uh, discussion that we had uh how everything has been topsy-turvy and terrible. And John, uh, especially as it the COVID-19 virus really hit your community first, you're up in SAR and uh, right near New Rochelle and, 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 and Yonkers and Bronx. And really, again, I don't blame you for not coming on the show with me because you have been extremely busy. You have been on the forefront of really dealing with this incredible reality and trying to put some sanity in terms of how you've been managing your school. So first of all, credo to you, just like the first responders, you were sort of like the first teacher responder. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess some, I guess some school in the United States had to be the first school of the, uh, in the country to deal with it. I guess there are tens of thousands of schools. Somebody had to be number one. So glad to say that we were number one. Certainly the first few weeks were much more uh, challenging because we were figuring this out on our own or as the kind of the first people to figure it out. Now that pretty much the entire country, or certainly all the schools in New York are in a similar situation, it's, um, it's a lot easier to manage, frankly, because we're not doing this in a vacuum. You're doing it uh, with a lot more guidance and collaboration with other people. But certainly it was, uh, I don't know, a bit surreal the first few weeks and the amount of um, kind of like daily changes and on-the-spot decisions that had to be made that were, you, know, you kind of felt were like life and death sorts of things, whereas uh, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced kind of professionally before. Right, and 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 I know that uh, we talked uh, before. You told me about the hours you're putting in, and and, and I'm sure besides the growth that we're both uh, evincing here in our beards and hair, the growth that you had as an educator uh, with this challenge, I'm sure, was immense in terms of crisis management, and also maybe, as you say, like like writing the new future. Because who knows when we're getting out of this? And uh, I think your voice is going to be important in terms of. Uh, counseling and telling people about what worked and what can work and uh you know not so sure not so sure how important my voice will be but i definitely wouldn't mind sharing my voice if uh, people would be interested in listening again there's gonna be so many changes that are going to take place that are going to be um kind of that are going to come out of this crisis um you know we'll see what happens again most simply i think that you know in a positive way the, the sort of like the power of zoom is something that was previously underappreciated. And I think there will be, again, I, I've, I've noticed meetings um, for parents that in, in a normal sort of environment, when you're meeting face-to-face that you'd have uh, you know, 30% of the parent body would show up to an event. Now you have 98% of the parent body shows wow. up to an event. It's, wow. it, again, they, they are at home. There aren't a lot of competing, <laughs> uh, you know, events taking place at the same time, but there's no doubt it's, a, you know, the amount of time and effort that it takes to attend a Zoom meeting is just, you know, makes life much easier than getting in your car, driving and sitting in traffic and paying a toll. And, you know, these sorts of things I think are going to be, that's in a, the most simple way is going to be a major revolution in terms of um, parent involvement 
in um, kinds of meetings and school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, again, as someone who's also, uh, you know, transferred over to a lot of Zoom teaching and the Zoom uh, doing things that way, what I've noticed, and I think might be operating by you too, is that this is a, a, almost like a person who's lost someone becomes a maniac for saying Kaddish uh, and will never miss a Kaddish and always be in shul. This is like a, a speck of normality, of saying Yiddish, a breckle of normality, uh, a crumb that they can hold on to and say, yeah, okay, I got to be involved in this. I find that with people who never came to my shir before and said, well, I've got to have some Torah in my life. I've got to have something. So I think many of your yeah. parents are feeling the same thing. We don't know what's going to be. We don't know if we're going to be able to walk out. But my kid is technically still in school. I'm still paying the big tuition. <laughs> and therefore, yeah. there, there's a reason I got to be involved now. And in that way, they feel that they're part of something which at least seems normal, even though they're approaching it in an abnormal way. And there's like almost a desperation and an intensity there that wasn't there before. So I think that I want to throw that in yep. as well. But I get but, so even though we don't know, and that's a good segue, even though we don't know where the world is going to lead us, um, we still are going to have our schools. And I know, John, and I know this from my own personal relationship with you, that by nature, you're a person who likes to use the term diversity in a real way. You know, there's a lot of people pay lip service to it. I think you're a person who, in your teaching and, and, in, and now in your staff hiring, uh, tries to put the staff, uh, allow the staff to represent as large a swath of humanity and specifically the Jewish world as possible. You, you've always believed that it's diversity is a positive thing uh, for your students to be exposed to. I, I'm going to say that if you had your druthers about who you would hire, that you would hire people that you wouldn't expect to be in the schools that you've been principals and involved with in terms of modern uh, modern Orthodox high school on the cutting edge, I guess they are. You have your own idea to try to have representatives of the from YU world yeshiva world maybe even the chesidish world because you think it's great for your students and i think that i think that's where your heart is uh, right would you I, agree to that yeah I, I i do agree with that i don't think that there needs to be some kind of like ideological purity test um in terms of who the teachers are in the school other than that they you know respect the hashkafa of the school they're not they may not fully subscribe to every aspect of the hashkafa of the school but they respect it and they communicate that to the, to the Talmudim, even if they're personally not fully aligned with it. I think that's something that I agree. As long as they're, you know, they love the kids, they're great teachers, all that stuff is like primary and the ideological purity is, is secondary. Um, that being said, you know, I, all things being equal, I'd like to have the, you know, the bulk of the teachers in the school, certainly in the Mude Code, it should be people who, um, you know, do come from a background that's, that, that sort of like, you know, believes in deeply um, the school's basic hashkafa. Again, the school's basic hashkafa could also be having things be a little bit wider and the hashkafa could be to recognize that there's value in that and like that diversity to an extent. You know, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I'll throw a story out there. It's like, besides teachers, like what kind of other sort of um, experiences do you expose kids to? There is an interesting sort of debate that I was having with a parent in our school about the following kinds of events that we brought kids in school to. I think we have three examples. I'm curious what you think of this little bit, Um We would bring kids to um, 
you know, it's, it's become like a, almost like a uh, modern Orthodox uh, Hajj where you uh, go to, you bring kids to, <laughs> to the Simchas Beis Shuevas in Borough Park um, during Sukkot, during Cholamoid Sukkot. And somebody, you know, uh, re- reasonably, and I thought like interestingly, objected to why are we bringing students to a place where hashkafically we would be rejected and it's not respected. Similarly, I would, we would bring kids to um, on Lag Baomer coming up in a few weeks to, I, I assume <laughs> that they're not going to have the curious Yale um, Lag Baomer, you know, the big Madeira that they usually have. We'd bring kids to that. We had brought, we had a field trip actually. We had a, 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 um, a women's group, a girls, a group of high school girls who were going to go to meet with uh, women in Lakewood. Um, the, we were doing these as a way of sort of like exposing our kids to a broader segment of Klaliusrel than they generally have any exposure to. Some people didn't like that. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Somebody who listens to the first show said you always interrupted John, so I didn't like the show that much. So okay. I, don't want to, I didn't want to interrupt no, you. Okay, interrupt you had, me, please, please. Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, those three initiatives that you talked about, were those yours, or, or did you pick them up from, from the, the general zeitgeist? I think of, of the this? Curious Yale, this was a bunch of years ago. The Curious <laughs> Yale I did because I thought, I thought it'd be good shtick. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was totally great shtick. And then, yeah. the, and also, same thing with the same thing with the, um, the Borough Park, I think a bunch of years ago. I started right, that was your, was uh, okay, I, I think the hidden secret is, and Hurricane Sandy brought it out, and, and anybody who's ever had to be in a hospital knows that the Satmarchev are, are almost the most incredible warm people. Um, they were out there with the first responders in Hurricane Sandy. They are there when anybody needs them in the hospitals. I don't care what sort of yarmulke you have and how you look. They're there at the people's bedsides with women who don't have their uh, shaitals on and, and, and showing them that they could – people who weren't from even Goyim and, and showing them the Hachnosis Archim room. So to me, it's not a Kiddush that despite the ideological ga- uh, separation that they were uh, kind to you and friendly and, 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 and it was a good experience. But go ahead. Right? So you said so some people were complaining about that. I, some were complaining about it. And I, and I understand it. Like, you know, why do you want, I mean, shouldn't we work on shoring up, like, you know, a certain ideological modern Orthodox only YU kind of... Uh, you know, hashkafa by exposing students to that sort of environment. And, and I felt like, listen, that, that's what we show our kids. That's the bread and butter. That's the foundation. But I also think it's, there's value provided, of course, that you also unpack it and talk about it with kids. Like, I wouldn't want to give our kids the mistaken impression that the school thinks that, they, you know, that's more authentic. That's an ideal. And we're the pariv, sort of like, you know, uh, you know tepid, uh, kind of thing that the, uh, it's a bit the advent. You could be like us, but uh, ideally, like, you, know, you should be like the guys who are dancing on the Madeira and Curious Yale. I don't believe that. And I think that, uh, I think a parent was concerned that maybe that would be the sort of, uh, you know, the, the message would be given kids. So I think I, I hear that. And so as long as you kind of talk about it intel- intelligently with, with, with Tommy Eden about why this is important, well, I think it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. Also, also, frankly, it was not like mandatory. This kind of thing. Like, I, I think, it, I think it would be different and odd, perhaps, if I took every single kid in the school. But I think, I think that would fall flat. This was something that you kind of like want to do with kids who have just a little bit of interest, and you could talk about it with kids. You know, that, that's what I think in terms of some of those experiences. But in terms of like teachers, I think it's like it's a little more complicated. I, I like the idea of exposing Talmudim to a wider range, but I also know that there's 
you know, there's something to be said for teacher. Okay, I'll say it like this: in our school in SAR, a very high percentage of students, both on the Judaic Studies staff and also on the General Studies staff, high percentage of the teachers um, send their own children to the school. You know, I don't think that that needs to be a requirement of teaching the school. There are plenty of teachers who don't send their kids to school; they send their kids to uh, more um, more yeshivish sorts of places. And I think that's totally fine. Um, that being said, there is something really positive when you feel that the teachers in the school are coming at it because it's their community. I have a deeper investment, I think, if I know that this is not just affecting, you know, my, it's not just my job and it's not just a job that I care about even and I care about the kids, but it's, it's like my family. Uh, we all treat things differently when it's, when it's your own children. I think we see things a little bit differently, maybe even have a deeper kind of level of investment um, when it's our own people. I think there's something, something to be said for that. Yeah, that, that, that is a very powerful uh, idea, and I think it's been uh, displayed and been proven in a number of scientific studies. And again, it, it might seem strange that I'm mentioning this, but there have been studies that showed that, um, and, and again, you can take a look at some of the educational journals and see that that African American students. Uh, consistently do better in school when their instructors are of the same race. Um, and it has made a, a credible change because we know that, as, you know, the dropout rate of the African-American male was so great to have a, a, a teacher who is similar uh, allows a greater amount of success, especially if you're talking about students that might otherwise have discipline problems or come from other, have other issues. Uh, it, it's clear that in, in our uh, yeah, I think it's true in in our world though. I think it cuts a couple of different two different ways. One way is that you know, and it all as with everything, you know, no, there might be trends, but there are so many different kids who have different kinds of reactions and different experiences. So I think they have to have a wide you know variety on on the menu as to what works for different kids. So for example, you will have some of the kids who will respond much better to somebody who's coming from outside of the community, like a Hasidish, a guy who's got like a little more of a Hasidish background, who's like exposing kids to like a different, a totally different way of thinking. That can be very inspirational to a lot of kids. Again, and also very off-putting to a lot of kids. So you can't have everybody, it doesn't work for everybody. On the same, by this, by, on the same, uh, you know, other, on the other side of the coin, you've got like undoubtedly the, the teacher who went to, the modern Orthodox day school, went to the yeshiva high school, went and learned in yeshiva seminary in, in Israel, and then went to YU Stern, got, you know, has the background of within the sort of like the modern Orthodox, like normal trajectory of things. Those people can be so much more relevant to so many of our students and therefore can serve as like very strong role models. And that's what you want. Like, listen, there's like, there's on a certain measure, you want teachers to, you know, kind of, you know, you, we've, we spoke a little bit, you can maybe mention also the, the idea of sort of like spurring creativity by meeting people who are different than yourself and seeing something that's being in a foreign country and, and, and hearing a different way of thinking that sort of like challenges you to think in a way. And that's what the best universities are supposed to. So there's something to be said, something to be said for that. But yeah, well, scientific core, again. It's 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 again without. This yeah. is is clear. You know, you take a look and and you see 
that the studies have been shown, <laughs> studies about studies, I always like that, right. <laughs> but they've shown that uh, scientific papers that are cited in more peer-reviewed journals are scientific papers that have authorships of people from different countries. So in other words, uh, someone from China and someone from the United States or someone from Israel who authored a paper together, those papers will consistently be considered better science than ones that are from the clustered group. And that's because, and that's because from different perspectives, whether it's a Bayevarova, whether it's a Bayechen Rishlokish, whether, whatever it is, creates Rav Chodeshmaitza. It creates uh, an incredible understanding. And you don't just want yes men. You want people that can sometimes come from a completely different area and the synthesis that happens. Yeah, it's true, but you want any... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so what I would say is, and again, you know where I'm coming from, but what I would say is that maybe for your best kids you actually want them to hear from someone who has a little bit of an accent, who's a little bit different, who actually has something different, and that could actually stir their mix. They're already talented. They're already bright. They've already been able to do stuff. Now, just expose them to that. Wow, that's, that has now added the leaven to the bread, and now they can really rise. Whereas when you have your students who have the discipline issues, the students who need to see people like them, the students who have this, this, this struggle – maybe send them with the teachers that are more similar to the student background. What do you think? I think, I think there's something to be said for that, but you also keep in mind that very much, I think the success, let's look, you know, the success of a lot of the yeshiva high schools in the modern Orthodox world over the past 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years, even I'd say, um, I think a lot of it is because there are a number of, Rebellion and teachers who have come from that world that didn't used to be like that. In other words, I would be too careful. I'd be careful of having the pendulum swing back too far. In other <laughs> words, from the olden days of when you had the, again, with lots of respect to the European, uh, you know, survivors who were the teachers of the schools in the, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s who we felt like, oh, nobody related to them and therefore they were easy to uh, have nothing to do with. Um, and now you also, I think, you know, a lot of the success has been that there's, that these teachers now are much more able to connect with the Talmudim, Ba'ashir Husham, and really know who they are and can relate to them. And they watch the same TV shows and they rooted for the same <laughs> sports teams. And they, yeah. and there's something about that cultural familiarity that, that like is, can, that allows them to have an in with students and, and be more inspiring. You know, I, I think it's like, I, I would, uh, you know, well, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, okay. Well, obviously, you know, you're throwing me, you know, you talk about meatball pitches all the time, John. That's one of your favorite terms. So um, it's sort of a meatball pitch you throw me. And, 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 and obviously, look, I was in that same boat because, you know, here I was, I was actually teaching for you. And I didn't actually reflect uh, as accurately uh, the environment where they were coming from. And my argument about including me, despite my shortcomings, had to do with the fact that I actually represented something more like, you know, I started by Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, I was Talmud Rav Heinemann, you know, I had seen that, and I'd actually grown up in a house speaking Yiddish, and therefore, um, to me, there was a, a uh, an advantage, uh, like you said, as long as you understand where you're coming from, uh, you know, to me, I think that, um, especially when it comes to your job, which is to actually make a decision, who am I going to hire? Am I going to hire this guy who has been 
this has been his job for 25, 30 years, whatever it is. And uh, I'm going to hire this young guy who more accurately represents and reflects the kids. It's a very cruel thing sometimes when you're in your position to say, look, I know you're talented. I know you've got this experience. I know you're able to do this, but I think for the better of our students, we're going to go with somebody else. And that, 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 that cuts very deep and, and, and sometimes uh, very hurtful. So I understand that. You know, so it's hard to, you know, so when you ask me that question, you know, I, I I'd it. like to say I'm just Phil Donahue interviewing you, but I actually, you know, to me, I believe I it could sometimes, you know, let, let, let me tell you an incident and I want to hear what you think about it. You know, as you know, after I left um, SAR, I went to teach in some various schools and uh, some of them were out of town. And I once uh, had the incredible schluss in my mind to present to my, to my students uh, someone who was the world's expert on kosher issues, which was very troubling to them. Why we have to keep kosher? What's going on? What's going on with, these, with, with this animal and that animal? And, 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 and the person who I had a video from was the, I think, I, I'm going to call him a tzaddik, uh, Rabbi Sroh Belsky, who was an incredible person. You look at his chuvas and you just look at the stuff that he wrote, his knowledge, his science. The OU will tell you that the world is missing him. Uh, and, uh, and again, as great as Rav Herschel Schechter has been in this period, I would have loved to have Belsky whispering in his ear as well. Or not just whispering in the ear, issuing his own psalkim, because I think we would have needed him. So anyway, I had this list of, of a video of Rabbi Sroh Belsky. And I thought it was great because he understood the animals and he was able to explain them. He actually picked them up and showed them. When I showed this to my students, because of his beard that might have, his longer beard, the students, from the minute they saw his face, they could not listen. They were not able to absorb. And, and, and it was like, it was like, it was like they kept on saying beard, 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 like Austin Powers saying mole, mole, mole. You know, like they could not say anything except his beard, his beard, he's got that beard. And and I was so hurt afterwards and, and so embarrassed that they couldn't relate. Now, again. <laughs> I'll say, that's, an, I, that's, a, that's a poignant story because it's like it hurt, it feels bad. I'd say two, two responses to it. One of them is I wonder whether the, experience would have been different if he was standing in front of the room in person rather than on video. And that shows some of the shortcomings. I think in video, it's much easier to sort of like look the other way and be dismissive when, when it's on video than when it's, when it's in person. I also think that points to the importance of gaining more exposure so that they, you know, in regular kind of like experiences in schools that kids don't respond that way. That's like a, you know, we should train kids not to, not to be like that. And the more, you know, we can expose students to variety of opinions, even if it's not going to be that he's going to be the Rebbe in the school, like most Rebbe in the school are going to look like him. You should have exposure to that world so that you don't uh, respond in a, again, ultimately what's a cynical and you know, almost like a, an underdeveloped, non-intellectually sound sort of way. Well, I, I just wonder, and again, you know, you're the expert here. I'm just the interviewer. But I just wonder that if, if, if the exposure is only these very carefully um, catered excursions, but they're not really connecting day to day if we're ever going to bridge that gap. Yeah, I saw him. He was good, but he might be the exception. Uh, but the rule is actually the other way. I think once you bring, and again, I'm going to make the pitch for it. I think your school is going to be better if you're going to have someone on staff who's actually different and challenging and respectful and brilliant. 
that's hard to get. But put those things together, you're going to have a better school, and you're going to have a, a more diverse uh, uh, Sevet, and that his voice is going to be important. Yeah, I, because, listen, I, yeah, as you said, or her voice, or her voice. <laughs> yes, as you said in the beginning, um, that's definitely my uh, my Natia is towards it. I think I think that that's right. I think that schools should do that, and I did appreciate the uh, you know sort of that that. You know, your just your current description of your own resume as you were uh, describing me. Yeah. This is not a pitch. I'm not pitching for you know. After after we stop recording, I'll I'll send you my resume. But but the point is, I I think I found my niche someplace else. But you never know. But anyway, but I yeah okay yeah. So um, all right. So John, it's been a pleasure again. And uh, I think that uh, hopefully we'll do this. Uh, it won't be 10 weeks or whatever it is uh, to the next time we meet. Amen, amen. Hopefully be you'll great. be oh, looking oh, forward. Because I think, uh, you know, I think we need, we, the challenges of Jewish education have actually increased with COVID. So Always this is to talk with you. Yes, this has been On Principle. Again, thank you again, John. Rabbi John Kroll, who's graciously given up some of his time. And hopefully we'll be back uh, soon with another episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.